Morning, those of you who don't know, I'm Joe, so I'm one of the leaders here at King's. This morning we're going to be carrying on our series, Better Together, if you've been about. I thought I'd start by just sharing a little story. Um, growing up, I'm the youngest of three children, so I've got an older brother and an older sister, so I'm the youngest child. So yes, I'm spoiled, and my mum and dad do love me the most as well. Um, but you can't tell my brother and sister. And basically, when we was younger, what we would do is, my dad would take us to pitch and putt, me and my brother and sister. And I was... Um, Growing up, I guess I was very competitive. It's probably an understatement. And I liked to be the best at everything and win at everything. And you couldn't tell me how to play anything or how to do anything because I already knew. So my dad used to take us to pitch and putt. And a word of warning, if you have a child who is very competitive or like that, then do not take them to an activity that involves a club. And if you do, I'd suggest you take some headwear or some goggles or some sedatives maybe. Something that's just going to keep them calm. Because what would happen is we would go and my older brother and sister and my dad, they would try and help me out. They would try and help me grow as a player, how to hold the club, how to swing, how to stand. And basically, I would tell them to do one. I'd say, no, I know what I'm doing. I know how to play. I'm 10 years old, but I'm, you know what I mean, I'm the next Tiger Woods. And basically, a couple of minutes later, how it ends is I've basically launched my club across the green. I've stormed off saying, golf rubbish. I ain't playing anymore. I want to go home. And then it, it goes downhill from there. And so I think it was quite a fun time to go and play golf with my family. The guy who ran the course probably thought we were a bunch of nutters. Um, it was probably just me. So that was basically my... The reason I share that story is because all they were trying to do, my dad and my brother and sister, was to help me grow as a, help me grow my ability to play golf. That's all they were trying to do, but I didn't have any of it. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at is a topic called Growing Together. How do we grow together? You'll be pleased to know I've not brought my golf clubs with me, so you haven't got to put your goggles on. And basically, the Christian life, we know, isn't it, isn't one that's supposed to be alone, but it's supposed to be one where we grow together, where we come together, and there's an image in the Bible of God being like a potter, and us being the clay, and he is moulding us and shaping us. And so we're supposed to mature and develop in our understanding and the way that we are. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to use a letter that Paul has written to the Romans about actually how can we grow together. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, it will come on the screen, so do not fear. But I would say, if you don't have a Bible, it's a great thing to have. It's great to be able to read at home and to bring it on church on a Sunday as well. So we're going to start in verse 9, and it should be on the screen. Love must be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour other, others above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at this text together. Yes, God, we do thank you just for your word. We thank you, God, that it is instruction for us that you speak to us through your word. And I pray that as we come together now and look at this passage together, that you would speak to us, God, that you would reveal to us how we are to grow together. We thank you that you're interested in us and how we grow. Shall we say, be with us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll outline the context, I guess, of Paul's letter here. So Paul was writing to a church in Rome. The church in Rome was obviously a big city, Rome, and there was a church there, and it was made up of some Jewish Christians, so those who were of Jewish descent but had become Christians, and also Gentile Christians. Now, Gentiles was basically anyone who wasn't Jewish. And so there was these two people groups within the church, 
And there was tension between these two people groups. The Jewish people believed that they were the chosen people of God and they had a higher view of what we call the law. So they liked to follow the law, the law of Moses. And the Gentiles, they believed they were free from the law and the Jews thought maybe they weren't as much the chosen people of God as they were. And so there was this tension between the two sets of people. And one of the underlining themes that Paul is trying to say to the people in the book of Romans is essentially, you are better together. That what unites you, you are united in the gospel of Christ and that you are better together and there needs to be no tension between the different people groups within the church. And so the first 12 chapters of Romans, Paul outlines loads of what we call doctrine. He talks about grace. He talks about salvation. He talks about the cross. He talks about the mercy of God. He talks about all of these things that they are united in. And then as he gets to chapter 12, he then starts to turn in how do we live these things out in our day-to-day life? How do we live as Christians? How do you grow as a people? How are you to be a church in light of all of these things? And so this is where we find ourselves actually in the chapter 12 in verse 9. And he said some things already earlier on in the chapter. But we're going to look at what he says in verse 9 through to 16. Because the Bible is very clear, isn't it? We've hammered it home this series, I believe. And we're going to continue to do that. That the Christian life isn't supposed to be done on our own. We are part of a community. We're part of a people. And that's why we've been talking about groups every single week. And because Paul knew that as well. And he also knew there's a whole range of things that we can do to grow. There's a whole range of things we can do to grow as Christians, to grow as people. And there's a whole lot of things that we can do to develop. And I guess the question sometimes is, well, what does that look like? What are those things? And Paul uses this passage. So I'm going to talk about the first three things. The first thing that Paul says in in Romans 12, 9, he says, let your love be genuine. Let love be genuine and hate what is evil. In other words, the opposite of being genuine is being a hypocrite, isn't it? It's like hypocrisy. And so in other words, Paul is saying, let your love be without hypocrisy. Because what hypocrisy is about, I don't know if you've ever been called a hypocrite. I was called a hypocrite once and it was, it was really offensive actually. It's quite an offensive word because what a hypocrite is, is someone who tries to make the outside look better than the inside. They're concerned with the outward appearance of how people think they are. You know. So actually, you could do something that maybe appears to be loving, appears to be nice. But on the inside, that isn't actually your motive. That isn't actually what's going on on the inside. It's driven by this desire to try and please people or to appear to be good to other people. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 6. He says, So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is basically saying that the people that were doing that, they were fake. So they were fake. Their actions didn't represent what was really going on in their hearts, who they really were. They were just trying to put on a show. And if we aren't genuine, if our love for one another isn't genuine, what happens is we become fake. We become fake people. We become surface level people. And Paul is saying that love isn't like that. Love isn't hypocritical. It's not fake. It's not about covering up what's really going on inside. It's not about trying to put on a show for others. And that's what happens if we do not let our love be genuine. We start to hide what is really going on and we put on what I like to call a mask. We put on a mask and we hide things from one another. We try and bury things. We hide maybe the sin that's going on in our lives. We put on a front. We come to church with a front and we try and impress people. 
And, we try, and we're concerned with what this person thinks, or if that person thinks, or what Phil thinks, or Tristan, or whoever. And that's what we do. And I can often be the worst for this, being far too concerned with what other people think of my actions. And trying to act in a way that is to try and impress other people rather than actually living for God and what's actually going on inside. And so I guess the first thing that Paul is trying to say is that if we want to grow together, if we want to be a community that grows, then we need to be a community who love one another genuinely. Church needs to be a place where you don't feel like you need to come and wear a mask to church. You don't need to pretend like you've got everything sorted. You don't need to come and pretend like, oh, I'm sorted, everything in my life is okay. But you can come and be open and honest and vulnerable with one another. A place where we can come and be real. That's what Paul is saying here, that you need to be a church where you can come and just be real with one another. Rick Warren, the guy who obviously leads the church in America, who we're basing our whole series on, he says a, a famous quote, and I've quoted it before. He says, take off your mask, stop pretending you're perfect, and walk into freedom. He basically was talking about this issue that we seem to have in church, where all of us like to try and come with this mask, pretending that everything is okay, pretending that we're all sorted. And actually he's saying, no, that's not what church life is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be genuine people. We're supposed to be those who actually, if you've had a rough week, if you've come with things that are going on, you can come and bring that. You haven't got to try and pretend like everything's okay all the time. And I was thinking about this week, I was thinking, can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine a community of people where we weren't concerned with what everybody thought all of the time? Can you imagine a community where we were just honest and open with one another? Can you imagine a church where you could come, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's happened in your week, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what circumstances you're in, you could come to a church where you know you're not going to be judged, you're not going to have to worry about what people think of you, but you'll be loved genuinely by the community of people that you're a part of, and you can come with no mask and just be who you are, and you'll be received for that. That's the community that, that Paul wants to see in the church in Rome and that Christ has called us to be. That's what his church is supposed to be. And so Paul's command to love genuinely, actually what it's rooted in, is in a command for us to be rooted in Christ. Because when you're rooted in Christ, when you know that Christ accepted you just as you are, that he knows you exactly who you are, that he created you and he knows who you are, when you know that, this desire to try and impress other people or to impress man, it goes away. That fades away and you don't feel the need or the hunger to do that anymore. And so Paul's first command is a real deep-rooted one for us. And it's to do with actually how do we see ourselves taking off our masks and being open and authentic and genuine. And that's what we want our church to be, a place of that. So that's Paul's first point. He says, let your love be genuine. The second thing that Paul talks about is be devoted to one another in love. We live, unfortunately, in a culture that promotes unfaithfulness. I don't know if any of you watch EastEnders. Anyone watch EastEnders? I've not, I used to watch it years ago. I've not watched it for years, but I do have a confession to make that I got caught up in this whole who killed Lucy Bill thing. <laughs> I just got caught up in it. It sounds like some of you did as well, but I found myself watching it. I don't know why. It turned out to be an 11-year-old kid, which I was just like, man, this is just a little bit twisted. But, um, but basically what I realised as I watched EastEnders and got caught back in it for a couple of weeks was this show is really depressing. It's a really depressing show. I was watching it and was like, man, I'm feeling depressed even watching it. 
I'm like, there's not one couple or family in there who are happy. And it promotes unfaithfulness. It's like, this person has cheated on that person. This person's had an affair with her. He's been lying to her. He's done this behind his back and there's this secret. And the whole thing is about unfaithfulness and selfishness. And I'm just like, man, this is depressing to watch. But unfortunately, it reflects a lot of what we see in our culture. This attitude where we're encouraged to be selfish, we're encouraged to be unfaithful, where we're encouraged to basically do what we want to do. And so as I was watching that, I was just reminded of this. That actually, we want to be those who are the opposite of that. Paul is saying that we need to reject that. We need to be those who are devoted to one another. Completely different to the way that our culture tells us to be. Because we are inherently selfish. If you were here last week, you'd have heard Malcolm talk on selfishness. And if you wasn't, I would recommend you listen to that. Because he talks about some great things to do with us being selfish people. And actually, that's not the way we need to be. But we need to be devoted to each other. I came across some stats in the week about technology. Some of you might have seen this. That apparently, the average person in the UK spends between six to eight hours watching TV or on their laptop, phone, tablet, computer. Six to eight hours a day, apparently, in this, in this recent stat that's come out, which can average up to about 30-odd you know, hours a week, about 1,660 hours, you're talking about a year. And it works out to the equivalent of 98 days of the year you could spend of your time looking at screens. It's funny, this day and age, there are so many other things that are drawing our attention. There's so many other things that prevent us from being devoted to one another. And so it's no wonder that you often hear people say, I haven't got time for relationships, I haven't got time for this friendship or that friendship, because that time is being pulled elsewhere in this, you know, staring at a screen. Now, I have an iPad and I have an iPhone and I spend a lot of time on them. So even reading this this week, I'm like, man, how much time am I spending on those things in comparison to how much time I'm being devoted to other people? And it's not a healthy balance. And I guess there's lots of us in the room who could probably agree with that as well. As a people, as a church, we need to be those who are devoted to one another, who give each other attention, who give our time to one another, who make sacrifices who commit to friendships that we might grow, that we might continue to change and develop. And this is what Paul's instructing us. Because whatever you usually spend time on, whatever you invest time on usually grows, doesn't it? So if you invest time, if you're a gardener and you invest time in your garden, you're going to see some fruit, it's going to grow. If you invest all of your time in your family and your children, usually they will grow, it's great. If you invest all of your time in your work, if you spend all of your time just focusing on work, you're usually developing that area. It's the way that it works. What you spend time on grows. Maybe not with hair. So you guys are a little bit older. I do apologise. You can buy as much, you know, help me grow as you like from boots or whatever. I don't know what it would do. I can say that because I'm young. But in a few years' time, I'll probably be suffering. But it's funny, isn't it, how it works. Whatever you spend time on grows. And in the Bible, you know, there's 59 one another texts. There's 59 texts that will say things like this. Love one another. Greet one another. Bless one another. Honour one another. Serve one another. All of these one another texts. The Bible is clear that the Christian life, as much as it is between us and God, is also about one another. It's also about how we serve one another. How we are devoted to people. And if we want to grow as a people, we have to be devoted to one another. We have to be a community where we recognise that actually we are better together. 
It needs to be a place where you can come, where we have friends, where you are known, where you are part of a community, where you're not separated or isolated. Paul is saying that, devote yourselves. Even Steve coming up now, talking about the membership morning. For some of you, that might be the next step. It might be like, actually, I'm going to be devoted to God's people. Because the church, isn't it? It's not just the builders we have, it's the people that come. We are God's church. So actually, we're going to be devoted to God's church. I'm going to be devoted to one another. So a step for you might be, actually, I've been on the edge for a while. I'm going to go to the membership morning and, and say, you know what? Actually, I'm going to devote myself to God's people, devote myself to one another in love. And so that's Paul's second command to the church. Devote yourselves to one another. So we've got, let your love be genuine. Be genuine in the way that you love one another and devote yourselves to each other in love. The third thing Paul talks about is honour one another above yourselves. Honour one another above yourselves. It's funny, our culture, again, it teaches us to basically compare everything. The way that we get taught in culture is to compare everything. Your parents, when you're young, your parents. If you have children, to compare the way your kids are, your income, maybe your finances, the car you drive, the holidays you get to go on. And even if you're me, when I go around, even me, when I go around my mum's for a Sunday roast and she serves it up, I'm looking at my brother's plate saying, how many potatoes has he got? <laughs> it's like an instinct, isn't it? You just instantly compare. It's like you go out for dinner with somebody else and you're like, oh, I wish I got what they had. You're like, do you know what I mean? Like that looks, it's like this culture where we just compare instantly everyone else. And it's easy to put others down when we compare ourselves as well. And you get taught this when you're a youth, when you're a child. Because I don't if you're a parent, you might have heard this, but when I was younger, I don't know, I'd get caught running down the corridor at school and the teacher would say to me, Joe, do you know what I mean? Why are you running down the corridor? And the first thing I would say is this. Ben was doing it as well. That's what I would say. Or, oh yeah, but he was throwing something. So what he was doing was worse than what I was doing. And kids do that, don't they? It's like this instinct. As soon as you get in trouble, it's like, oh, but it wasn't, but he was doing something worse than me. And the media does it as well. And that's why we like to read about all of these people we see in the media, all the bad things they've done. Because what it does, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Oh, look how bad they are. Oh, look how bad that person is. Oh, he's awful. I'm not like that. It's just comparison thing we do automatically and that's what we often do and our culture we are encouraged to do that and this is what it's doing you're hiding I guess your own flaws by drawing attention to the flaws of others that's what you do you're hiding your own flaws by drawing attention to the other flaws of others so yours don't show up so clearly so if you're really good with time you, you look down on those who aren't good with time because you're, I'm, so I'm really good with time and I can find myself projecting that strength onto other people no, he's so bad with time, he's a bad person. It's nonsense. Or if you're good with money and somebody isn't good with money, you project your strength onto their weakness. Or if you're really clean, you do the same thing. There's lots of different things that we do that with. And this isn't something that's new. This has been going on for 2,000 years because Jesus said something very simple in his gospel, Luke 6. He says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll clearly see to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. It's a simple thing that Jesus said, but it carries so much weight and truth, especially in our culture. If we want to grow as a people, if we want to develop and mature and change as a people, when we need to be those who are completely 
and utterly countercultural. Because this is against everything that our culture says to us to be like. We need to go against everything and fight the urge to continually and repeatedly compare yourself to other people. Actually, what Paul says is we need to do the opposite. You need to honour others above yourself. You need to honour others above yourself. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, just another version, it says this, outdo one another in showing honour. I love that. Outdo one another in showing honour. It's like, I'm going to show you more honour than you can show me. Probably turn it into a competition and start comparing, oh, how much honour do you show? Oh, I show more. <laughs> it's not what Paul is saying. It's not a comparison. It's not, oh, you know, he gets the honour badge. Oh, you're not showing much honour. I show more honour than you. Because then it just defeats the whole thing. But that's what he's saying. Outdo, be keen and eagerly desire to honour other people above yourself. That is so alien for our culture. To, honor, to put the needs of somebody else before you put the needs of your own self. But this is what Paul says that we need to do. We need, and this is what the Christian life is about. We need to be those who put the needs of others before ourselves. So you might have a week where you've had a crazy busy week, but you're going to decide, actually, I'm going to put the need of somebody else before my need, and we're going to go out for a, we're going to go out for a beer. I'm going to go out for a coffee with that person. Or I'm going to drop that person from a small group home, even though they're three miles in the wrong direction. You don't want to do that. But you're putting their needs before yours. And it's very alien for us to do. But actually, that's what a community of people looks like. That's what the church is supposed to look like. A place where we sacrificially put people's needs before our own. And we honour other people before we honour ourselves. There might be someone in your group that you can think of. There's definitely someone in the church. There's probably someone in your workplace where you know that you could put their needs before them, that you could help them grow in doing that, that in being sacrificial with your time, you could help them grow, that you could honour them, and they could help you grow too, and actually that's the part of the way that we will grow together as a people. But the problem is, is we often think about ourselves all of the time. We think, I think about myself more than anyone else. And when I think about if somebody asks me to do a favour, I think, well, how will it affect me? What about my plans? What about what I want to do? And it's like an inherent thing that we have built into us, this selfishness. And actually, Paul's saying, we've got to reject that. If we want to grow as a people, if we want to develop and mature and continue to be moulded and shaped, then we have to reject that. And say, no, we're going to be different. We're going to be a community. We're going to be a people. We're going to be a church that is different to outside of these walls. And that's what it's about. You know, I've been thinking about these three things. Being devoted to one another, letting your love be genuine, honouring others above yourselves. I was thinking about them in all of these things where we want to grow. We know and we can have almost assurance that we look to Christ who is always our ultimate example. Christ in all of these things. There's no one else in all of human history and there will be no one else who devoted himself to others more than Jesus devoted himself to us. There will never be anyone else in human history who honoured others above himself, or who put the needs of others above himself in all of human history. Elsewhere in Paul's letter, he writes to the church in Philippi, and this is what he says, he sums it up, and he sums this whole message up in one of the best passages in scripture. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ, though very God himself, chose to humble himself. He became a servant and then died on a cross for us and rose again that we might be forgiven. That all of our failures, all of the things, all of our shortcomings, we know are forgiven and we can be in relationship with God and have right standing before him. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That's what scripture tells us, that we might know righteousness with God. And this is the most important thing about this message that we need to grasp. Because in all of these three things, they're tied up in this. Because when we grasp the fact, when we understand that Jesus knows you, he came and died for you, he created you, he knows exactly who you are, your faults, your failures, the things that you've done. When you truly grasp that, only then can we understand we don't feel the need to impress other people. We don't feel the need to be affirmed by other people in the same way that we do against Christ. We don't need to wear a mask. We don't need to pretend that everything is all right, like we've got it sorted. Because we know it's not about our performance, but it's about what Jesus has already done for us on the cross, that he humbled himself and that he is our ultimate example. And in that way, we can devote ourselves to the church. It always, in everything, everything we hope to do, everything we hope to grow, it always comes back to Jesus. In what he has accomplished for us, what he has achieved. We sung in worship about what the cross has done for me, what the cross says for me. And this is what the cross has done for all of us. It enables us to be those who are devoted to one another, to love genuinely, to honour others above ourselves, to be devoted to God's people. It all comes back to that, to the cross of Jesus, because of what he has done for us, we can be in a community where we grow together. This can be a place where we come as we are. Come exactly as you are. Not trying to hide anything, not trying to put on a mask, but you come as you are, week by week. And so this morning we've received these three exhortations, if you like. There's three points that Paul spoke to us there that will help us grow as a people. But I want you to be clear that for us, it's not about just trying really hard to do these three things. It's not, I'm just going to try really hard to do those because in the end, we will fail. In the end, our human nature, we will fail. We will not be able to do it. We cannot do these things on our own. It's too difficult. But we have to be those who come before God and ask him, God, pour out your spirit on us. Help us by your Holy Spirit. He promised us in his word that he will send the Holy Spirit to help us. And so we have to say, we have to come and say, God, daily, we recognise that we are better together. We want to be those who love genuinely. We want to be those who are devoted. We want to be those who are honouring others. But we know we cannot do it by ourselves, and we need you. And I do that daily. God, I need you. I need you to do these things in me. I need your spirit. I need to be more like you, because that's the final goal. God is moulding us and shaping us that we might be more like Jesus. And the only way we can do that is if we come before God humbly, say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? 
And we can have an opportunity to do that. We can have an opportunity in a while as we sing and respond to God in, in a while. We can have an opportunity to come before him as you are and say, God, I need you. God, fill me with your spirit. God, I want to be more like you. I want to be devoted to others. I want to love genuinely and I want to honour others above myself. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go into a time where we can just respond. And all I want you to do is just come before God as you are. Be honest with him. There's things that I've spoken about that you know you might struggle with more than others. You might always be wearing a mask or trying to appear good to other people. You might not honour others above yourself. You might be someone who's selfish. And it's an opportunity for you to come before him and say, God, I want to be part of your community. I want to honour you. I want to grow as a people. I want to grow as an individual and as a church. So we come before him and we say, God, help me. Be with us. And so we're going to do that now. I'm going to pray. And then Joe and the band will lead us in a time where we can do that. God, we thank you for all that you achieved for us when you died on the cross. We thank you that you did say it is finished. We thank you that you accept us just as we are. It doesn't matter what we've done or who we are. You know us by name and you say you love us. And God, we come before you this morning recognizing that we are weak, but that you are strong. We can't, but we know that you can. And so we come before you humbly now, God, with our faults and failures, with the things that we want to do. And we say, help us, oh God. Help us grow. Help us be more like you. Help us love others genuinely. Help us be devoted to one another. Help us to honour others above yourselves. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We say, come and have your way amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.